The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Prescription for Success with your host, Dr. Emil Haldi. Each week, we come through the myths and facts about health and wellness in order to bring you the best advice and the right information that you need to live an incredible life. Now, here is Dr. Emil Haldi. Welcome to Prescription for Success. I'm Dr. Emil Haldi. Today, I have a very special guest with me, Dr. Joel Furman, MD. Dr. Furman is a board-certified family physician, six times New York Times best-selling author, and an internationally recognized expert on nutrition and natural healing. Dr. Furman specializes in preventing and reversing disease through nutritional methods. Dr. Furman coined the term nutritarian to describe his longevity-promoting, nutrient-dense, plant-rich eating style. For over 30 years, Dr. Furman has shown that it is possible to achieve sustainable weight loss and reverse serious chronic conditions using smart nutrition. In his medical practice and through his books and PBS television series, he continues to bring the life-saving methods to hundreds of thousands of people around the world. Dr. Furman is a four, former world-class figure skater and a member of the United States World Figure Skating Team. Dr. Furman is involved professionally with sports medical committees, advisors, and Olympic athletes, and lectures to athletic trainers or world-class athletes. It is a tremendous honor and a pleasure to have you here, Dr. Furman. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Looking forward to it. I- the same here. I'm a big fan, Dr. Furman, since we met a couple of months ago at uh, the Science of Health uh, Human Optimization Conference. We were both were speakers there. You were the featured speaker. Uh-huh. And uh, I read your book, Eat to Live, from cover to cover. Uh-huh. Really? And it has a wealth of information. And I have personal experience with following your uh, mm-hmm. style, your diet, and my family members as well. And to tell you a little more, my father has been following this diet for now probably eight weeks, has adjusted his sugar, his cholesterol is, is, is much better, and uh, is, is doing very, very well. So today's show is about how to use food for fuel. It is how to eat so that you can live an amazing life. And we all want amazing lives, but at first it starts with our thoughts and emotions. And our emotional center engine is actually our gut. So we have to feed ourselves with nutrient-dense foods to improve our moods and have better energy. Uh, So I'm very, very much looking forward to our discussion. Dr. Furman, tell us a little about yourself and how did you eat growing up as a kid and what got you into nutrition? I think I ate pretty conventionally with lots of like tuna fish sandwiches and macaroni and cheese casseroles and lamb chops up until the age of about, I'd say, 10 or 11 or 12 years old. My father was overweight and sickly, so he started reading books on from Dr. Herbert Shelton, in the 19, written in the 1955 to 60s, a chiropractor out of San Antonio, Texas, who was instrumental in founding the, natural, the American natural hygiene movement. And so my father lost weight and got healthier when I was a kid, like in, at 12, 13 years old. So we slowly started changing our diets and eating healthier as my father started eating healthier too. My father put a vegetable garden in the backyard. He grew his own tomatoes and vegetables. We ate salads every day. We started bringing fruit for lunch. So when I, and I was, a, on the, I was a serious athlete in my teens and early 20s. I was, as you mentioned in the introduction, I was second in the United States in pairs figure skating with my sister. 
1976, um, we were third in the world championships. But I, so I was always, you know, trying to eat healthy just to further my not get sick, to continue training, you know, be resistant to viruses and to improve stamina and, you know, longevity. You know, in other words, I was getting into health and nutrition back then. And then when I left college and, and, got, and stopped competing as an ice skater, working in my father's shoe business, a chain of shoe stores in the New York metropolitan area, um, I, I realized it was, I was so passionate about nutrition that I actually quit that and went back to medical school, went back to the postgraduate pre-med program at Columbia, and then went back to medical school and became a doctor specifically with the intent of specializing in nutritional medicine. So what made that transition possible? How did you go from figure skating to becoming a doctor? Oh, well, you really want to go, we'll go there. Well, um, I was at my sister's, my younger sister who was my skating partner. I was at her gra graduation party um, from college, and I started talking to a young woman there, one of her um, schoolmates, that who was going to go to medical school. And I was saying, what are you going to medical school for? Doctors mostly prescribe things that are toxic anyway, and it's people's poisonous diet that's driving an epidemic of chronic illnesses. It's like hitting yourself with a hammer and taking a medication to relieve the pain while you give yourself a smash with a hammer the next day. I mean, it's if food causes cancer, food causes heart disease, causes diabetes, and we got to cha change people's. So this woman said to me, um, well, if you're so passionate about this, why don't you go to medical school and change things? Because that's where you're going to have the most impact on the world if you're so, you know, not just, you know. So, so eventually, I married this person. I married that woman. <laughs> and I went back, and I, and I realized I was much more... Um, passionately expressed to have a career that's so so rewarding so I went quit my father's shoe business so he retired and I went back to school full-time to get the postgraduate pre-medical requirements and went back to medical school at the age of 28 years old or 29 years old wow what a story and you are changing the world so uh, your wife has uh, definitely encouraged you to move in the right direction right, right. <laughs> so it's all about um, one person encouraging another and it's a whole snowball effect right that's right. That's right. Proximity is power. Um, please tell our listeners the specifics of your recommended diet. And your diet is very unique. It's plant-based. And can you explain, uh, plant-based is preferred, but what's the key difference between vegan or vegetarian and plant-based in your particular uh, diet style? Right. Well, you know, first of all, I, I use the word nutritarian because what I'm recommending is so different than, let's say, just the word vegan. Um, plus the fact that I'm focusing on foods that have the maximum longevity promoting effect and anti-cancer effects and things like that. And I do recommend and, and, and require people to reduce greatly the amount of animal products they eat because animal products drive IGF-1 to high levels producing cancer and they drive bacterial production of gram-negative bacteria that produce TMAO or trimethylamine oxide, which causes pro-inflammatory substance. And, other, and which ages the brain, and there's other factors involved we can talk about that you can't, that, you know, we certainly want to eat more. Everybody recognizes that sweets, processed foods, fast food, fried food, high glycemic carbohydrates, white flour, sugar, maple syrup, it's, it's kind of a very, a very um, how should I say, um, tremendous consensus in the scientific community that high glycemic processed carbohydrates and fried foods are dangerous. Right. And, and but now there's becoming a growing consensus that animal products have to be reduced dramatically, either to very low levels or eliminate completely. Once you eliminate them completely and go to a vegan diet, then there's certain nutrients you might not opt be optimizing. Zinc, you know, B12, DHA, things like, you know, iodine K2, things we might have to supplement 
to to get to the level that you would to optimization that a diet that might include some animal products might contain. But right now, the evidence on long-term studies, which look at you know large numbers of people over decades at heart and looking at hard endpoints like death and lifespan, we see that as the diet does tweak down to a higher amount of unrefined plant foods and a greater reduction of animal products, the more you move in that direction towards a vegan diet, the more propensity you have to live to be 100 years, you know, between 95 and 105 years old. It's that 95 to 105 year old window that we're shooting for with our full physical and mental faculties intact. And what I, my job and my career is based on telling people that there's only one proven methodology to slow aging and to extend human lifespan, which has been tested in all species of animals, including primates, and shown to hold, to hold true with humans as well. And that is moderate caloric restriction in the context of micronutrient excellence. So we're talking here about moderate caloric restriction, and that when you achieve micronutrient excellence with a high amount of um, these high nutrient plants that are, you know, like greens and beans and onions and mushrooms and berries and seeds, as you, as you eat a high level of micronutrients, it naturally suppresses the appetite, apostate, excuse me. It naturally turns down the apostate. In other words, you have a lower appetite when you eat a healthier diet. And one thing that's also been proven, the more unhealthy your diet, the lower it is in these micronutrients, especially antioxidants and phytochemicals, the more you come, become a food and calorie-consuming monster. You can't control yourself. You're not satisfied with the right amount of calories. You become addicted to food, and you chronically overeat. So the only way people can sustain good health is if they improve the nutritional quality of their diet, and that essentially means eating more vegetables. Yes. So we can talk about that more, but there's some nuances there. But we're focused here on giving the highest nutritional bang per caloric buck and removing or, or reducing foods that don't give you a lot of longevity promoting benefits. Yes, this is a very powerful concept. And when people talk to me, what are the principles of, of this, this plant-based approach that I personally use as well, is that you want to give your body as many micronutrients as possible. You call it micronutrient excellence. That's correct. So uh, the reason it's plant-based because plants have the most micronutrients compared to other foods. Well, that's right. If you compare, a, let's say, a bagel to a piece of chicken, they contain macronutrients, which means macronutrients are fat, carbohydrate, and protein. We eat all the modern world eats too much fat, too much carbohydrate, and too much protein. We're over we're poisoning ourselves with all those calories. But chicken has no antioxidants and phytochemicals. It's just it's just source of protein. The bagel is a source of carbohydrate. We're already, you know, but it has no phytochemicals and antioxidants and, and longevity promoting nutrients. The more they're they're kind of like empty calories. One gives you protein, a macronutrient. One other gives you another macronutrient, carbohydrate. But another one gives you the anti-cancer phytochemicals that increase longevity proteins, stabilize our stem cells for use later in life, stop our telomeres from shortening and aging. You know, it's the phytochemical richness that stabilizes the stem cells. So when we need them as we age, they're there for us to make us live a long time. Yeah, very powerful. So your staple term is nutritarian diet. And one of the terms that you com um, came up with is G-bombs. Can you elaborate on the meaning uh, of this and the importance of having all these six elements or components in the nutritional um, lifestyle? Right. G-BOMBS, G-B-O-M-B-S, is an acronym that's useful to help people remember the foods with the most scientifically documented efficacy to reduce rate of cancer 
and to extend human lifespan, particularly their anti-cancer effect. If you throw a dart at any of those foods, just throw the dart, it lands on mushrooms, let's say. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that every one of those foods individually has dramatic effects to protect against cancer. So in other words, women who eat mushrooms regularly, even 10 grams a day, the size of your thumb, a major Asian study were able to reduce risk of breast cancer by more than 64%, wow. just from the small consumption of mushrooms. Pick seeds. Well, you look at a study on women with breast cancer followed for 10 years, so that even having a, even a third of a milligram of lignin from flax seeds or chia seeds a day reduced risk of recurrence of breast cancer or death of breast cancer by 76%, just in that little bit of lignin. So what I'm saying here is that each one of these foods looked at individually shows dramatic protective effects. When we put together a dietary portfolio that includes all these foods, all the G-bombs, the green cruciferous vegetables, mm-hmm. the dark and colorful beans, the onions and scallions, right? The G-B-O-M, the mushrooms, the berries, which have been shown to reduce risk of cancer uh, in human studies. And lastly, the seeds like flax seeds, chia seeds, sesame seeds that, can, that are rich in phytochemicals, tocotrienols, and all those sterols and stanols that bind, that bind on, on oxidized fats and that ha- have powerful anti-cancer effects and anti-estrogenic effects on stimulating the, the breast of the prostate with estrogen that can promote cancer. So we're talking about when we've put together a full dietary portfolio that includes these foods, we have the ability to win the war on cancer. I always say that we've landed the man on the moon already. What I mean by that is we have the scientific information to, win the, to wipe out cancer. We can win the war on cancer right now if we want to. But the problem is, is people don't like the answer we found. The answer is vegetables. They're looking for a different answer. They want to be able to smoke three packs a day and looking for a magic pill they can take. Or to be able to eat their hot dogs, their bacon, their croissants, their donuts, their french fries, and not get breast cancer. That's a fairy tale. It's never going to happen. You can't eat the American diet and not get cancer. And if you want not to get cancer, you have to eat a different diet. And the closer you are to a nutritarian diet, which is the gold standard, in the inclusion of all the most powerful anti-cancer foods prepared in a way, not just to make them taste delicious, but also prepared in a way to retain the benefits of those nutrients. Not to, so we're cooking food in a way so that the nutrient, the anti-cancer benefits aren't lost in the preparation methods. So it's a scientifically designed diet to extend human lifespan. And it covers the whole gamut of diseases and um, like, like reversing diabetes, reversing heart disease, you know, re, you know re, re, reducing and reversing the chance of cancer and reducing and reversing early stage cancers, people getting well from asthma, psoriasis, rheumatoid arthritis, Sjogren's syndrome, you know, um, ulcerative colitis, in other words, recovery, lupus, people making recoveries. What I'm saying right now is that the same dietary portfolio that's most scientifically supported and most effective to extend human lifespan becomes most therapeutically effective when we apply it to people with chronic illnesses to facilitate their recovery and to enable the body to heal itself. This is very powerful. So you're saying that if someone follows your principles with G-bombs and other nutritional recommendations, they can reduce their risk of getting cancer. And, And what's the percentage of risk reduction that you... Are saying. Well, that would depend on when, what, what age the society started eating that diet. In other words, what I'm saying right now is that there are populations around the world that who 
have one fiftieth the amount of breast cancer. And if we go back to the 1960s and before, there were lots of um, areas of the world that have one hundredth the amount of cancer we have in this country. Even there's a fivefold difference between areas in this country between incidence of breast cancer where a person lives based on what the diets they're eating. Like living in Boulder, Colorado, compared to New Orleans, the difference in cancer is from breast cancer alone is tremendous. What I'm saying right now is that. Um, that if on a population level, we started teaching nutritional excellence in elementary school and our whole population, um, people started eating healthier before, before they even had their babies and through their, you know, raised kids on healthy food. And we all, the whole population ate healthy as the way the society ate, then cancers would be exceedingly rare. You know, a hundred times, 100th the amount of cancers we see in the United States today, because the, even the, even healthy nutrition protects against skin cancer. You know, we're talking about, we, people say, you know, we've got to quit smoking too, of course, exposure to pesticides, exposure to chemicals, but, you know, the, but diet is so powerful and flooding the body with high level of protective nutrients is so powerful that it even can help lessen the effect of cancer from things like, you know, like smoking or the sun, you know what I mean? So it's so, and radiation exposure. There are other causes of cancer, not just diet, but the, but the most powerful diet gives you an opportunity to really protect themselves and cancers would be exceedingly rare. Now we were asking the question, what about when a person ate unhealthy to the age of 50 or 60 years old, and they switch their diet, what degree of cancer protection could they get? That's a more difficult question to answer. But I do think it's dramatic protection, because let me just give you a few examples. In my 30-year or career as a, as a family doctor specializing in nutrition, I haven't taken care of hundreds of people with advanced cancers. It's just, you know, but, but the ones I've taken care of with cancer, they've done remarkably well, even when they had cancer. For example, I have a woman named Pam who was my patient um, 18 years ago who had metastatic ovarian cancer, went to her lung. She had four liters of fluid from her lung, giving three to six months to live. She's alive and thriving today. I have another, you know, I have people with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, you know, who got complete, get completely better. I'd have many women with breast cancer, even in my own family, who were, who were, you know, given poor prognosis. I have a woman, Sue, who was given a very poor prognosis of metastatic breast cancer, who's now been doing well for, you know, for more than 15 years after that diagnosis. With no, um, so what I'm saying right now is that it, I don't give up on a person because they have cancer. It's because it's a less, it's not a hundred percent certainty they're going to be able to reverse it or get well or extend their lifespan. We know that this is what we know for sure that the same um, practices, lifestyle, and foods that prevent cancer, when, that, when those foods and that dietary program is given to people with cancer, they live longer, they have less recurrence, and some go into remission. So what I'm saying is that, that the same, it's the same program that prevents cancer, helps people who have cancer, and many people across America in their 50s and 60s have, have cancer and they don't know it yet because it might take 10 or 15 years before these individual or small numbers of cancer cells to coalesce to become a mass big enough to be seen by the human eye to be detectable on a mammogram or to be seen by some medical test to be, to be felt. So, that they, so it's always more effective to reverse cancer in the earlier stages or when, before you have it. Right. So the probability, so and it's never too soon to make the change and it's never too late to make the change. We may not get a hundred percent reversal once you have cancer, but this, the effect, the benefits are still profound. But so I, I can't answer your question with specific numbers because we don't know those answers, but I think that even at midlife, the rate of cancers in this country might diminish by maybe 80% if people changed even at the age of 50 
it may reduce by 80%, but it might maybe only go to 96, 97, 98% if the whole society changed at every age group. You follow me? This is tremendous, potentially 80% reduction of uh, cancer risk. So this is uh, the best prevention program in the world. Uh, when you quoted about- And there's a tremendous amount of scientific data to support that, by the way. You know, a tremendous amount yeah. of data because even the study on, on um, flax seeds in women who had breast cancer showed the risk of dying over the 10-year period was reduced by a, huge, by a huge percent, even they had cancer. You know what I'm saying? So we're so, we've had tremendous, and even the study on mushrooms, like cruciferous vegetables have been shown to suppress the genetic alterations like the GSTP1 gene or the BRCA gene that could lead to cancer. The, it activates the cruciferous vegetables, activate the NRF2 transcriptions proteins, which are able to shut down those genes. So we're, we're talking about dramatic advancements, like, for example, the ergothionine in mushrooms. Is, so do you know that there's a receptor site on the side of cells for ergothionine from mushrooms? It's a built-in receptor site for this nutrient from mushrooms. Mm. You know, we're designed, which has an effect to travel into the cell to remove toxins and, re and repair the cell that could can't changes that could eventually lead to cancer when we take in these mushroom compounds. The whole host of mechanisms we're talking about here, including that mushrooms are natural aromatase inhibitors, which means they block the production of, of estrogen, so they keep the estrogen lowered from, from protecting against prostate and breast cancer. Very powerful. So when people come to you and they unfortunately have cancer and you put them on a nutritarian diet, you advise them to go on a diet, what do you recommend as far as the traditional treatment? Do they continue? Do you work with them to their doctor to adjust it? It, do it, it tremendously varies. For example, um, when certain cancers are aggressive, acute plastic leukemia, um, premenopausal breast cancer can be very aggressive. When the cells are aggressive and they're replicating rapidly, the person is more risk of an earlier death. But they, because the cells are replicating so rapidly, it also makes the DNA unravel, and those cells are more susceptible to chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. So the most aggressive and deadly cancers are the ones you use chemotherapy for, because they are effect. Because chemotherapy is more effective for aggressive cancers because they're replicating faster. Yes. For more indolent and slow-growing cancers like prostate cancer and postmenopausal estrogen-positive breast cancer, chemotherapy almost does nothing because they're because the cancer is so slow-growing. And they might personally even might die of a heart attack before they die of prostate cancer. Then yes. chemotherapy could be, would the benefits are so slight, I would prefer probably they just do the nutritional approach and not even do chemotherapy. Just remove the mass or, or do radiation and remove the mass. You don't want to use a large mass there. But the, with the individual scale cells, even if they're scattered, the immune system go, can seek those cells out and, do, and cause apoptosis or destruction of those cells. Yes. So I have to say that there's no cookbook approach. The protocol would be different based on the individual case, the individual case. Excellent, excellent. So how was the beginning of your practice as a medical professional? And as a follow-up question, do you ever or did you practice conventional medicine? Well, I can, most conventional medicine I consider barbaric because people are coming in with some dietary-induced illness like diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, you know, and the doctor gives them a medication, which now works as a, you know, I call that prescription pad or permission slip because they think their blood pressure looks okay because they think their cholesterol looks okay, because they think their blood glucose looks okay, they now have permission to eat the same diet that caused their problem to begin with. So the, the inevitable consequence is that pathology keeps advancing until they die. So the doctor accelerated their death because he gave them permission to stay on the same diet. If we never had medications, doctors would be forced to take the person by the neck and smack their head against the wall and say, you know, You've, you're going to die if you don't change your diet. You know, we, we don't give the people. But, but what I'm saying right now is, Doctors are not educators, motivators, skilled 
in teaching nutritional excellence, skilled chefs in showing people how a healthy diet can taste fantastic, all the skills a professional needs to get a person well again. You know, doctors have one skill, and that usually is drugs or surgery, which is not in the long-term best interest of the patients in the vast majority of cases, except for emergencies, of course. We're not talking about interventions in emergency situations. And there are certain conditions where you have to use medications. But I, as a family doctor, I take care of plenty of, I've taken care of plenty of sports injuries, diagnosed plenty of, you know, sprained knees and bad ankles. I've sewn together wounds. I've removed skin lesions and, and cancerous lesions on people's bodies. I've frozen things. I've done, you know, I've taken care of all types of, um, I've done colonoscopies and stress tests and flex SIGs. I mean, I've done all types of things. I've given birth to babies. I've done all types of things um, that would be considered more conventional. But the, but the centerpiece of my practice is mostly taking seriously ill people who have been some way informed or motivated to learn that they don't have to be sick the rest of their life and they want to become non-diabetic. They want to drop their excess weight. They want to get rid of their heart disease and not go through bypass or angioplasty. They want to get rid of their asthma, not be on medications all night long, having to take inhalers through the night to get a full night's sleep, or they have to, um, or they want to recover their, from their psoriasis, their eczema, their, their Sjogren's, their lupus, and, and not be on toxic chemotherapeutic drugs that cause cancer for the rest of their life. You know, you go to a rheumatologist with a, with a, with a disease like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis or Sjogren's, or they, and you put on, you know, methotrexate, plaquenil, prednisone, these drugs whose embryo, you know, would put, put on drugs that we know cause cancer. It's, and, and it's not a controversial. Rheumatologists are taking care of people when using them chemotherapeutic agents because they're monitoring the side effects because they're such dangerous drugs. And nobody's giving these people informed consent and telling them, you know, you don't have to take a cancer-causing drug if you really want to change your diet sufficiently. There is sufficient evidence in the scientific community and the medical literature that shows that there are lots of case studies and studies that show that people make enough dietary change. Such improvement can occur where people have make, can make a complete recovery even. You may want to consider that before I put you on these cancer-causing drugs for the rest of your shortened lifespan because of the drug. It's it's very interesting. I, I I'm going to borrow your term, dietary induced illness. It's a, actually describing it pretty well because most of our illnesses, as a result of uh, lack of micronutrients and, and and things that we need for our nutrition and for our body to function well. What do you think about nutrition and uh, nutrigenomics, or how the genes impact uh, are impacted by our food? Well, yes, I was talking about. I even bro broached that a little bit already, showing how that these nutrients can suppress genetic alterations and repair broken DNA crosslinks, and how when you you know there's four particular foods, by the way, that have the most power to build the right type of microbiome and to thicken the biofilm that coats the villi and the small intestines with bacteria that stay there and live there permanently, not like. Um, like, like probiotics or fermented foods which travel through you, but the type to have that, that the type of microbiome that thickens and lowers the glycemic effect of everything you eat. So how you do turn a moderate glycemic food like a mango into a low glycemic food? You eat these four food regularly, you have a thickened microbiome, the glycemic effect of the mango is, is tempered by the high degree of bacterial coating of the villi, and those four foods are, two raw foods, are raw green cruciferous vegetables, and the other raw food is onions and scallions, right? And then the two cooked foods are cooked mushrooms and cooked beans. Beans are full of resistant starch, and they're highest in slowly digestible carbohydrates. But the resistant starch are degraded by bacteria and promote the growth of healthy bacteria in the gut. 
and which and that's by healthy bacteria has been shown to cause what scientists call the second meal effect. It means that other meals, not the meal you're eating the beans at or the cruciferous greens at, but at breakfast the next day or lunch the next day when you're not having beans or greens, you're still getting a benefit from eating those foods because of the, effect, the positive effect on the microbiome. Now, the same positive effect on the microbiome, these also affects each individual cell and affects the DNA of their cell. Your DNA of your cell is only as healthy as the diet you eat, obviously. And we're talking about methylation defects to the DNA accumulate sufficiently, then we have a cell that's prone to cancer or develop cancers. A matter of, a matter of fact, new medical technology can actually measure the amount of methylation defects and tell you what your probability of getting cancer is, or even if you have cancer, that you, right now that's not being diagnosed because your methylation defects are so high. This is so powerful. I, I absolutely love the discussion. I hope you are having fun and enjoying it as much as I am. We'll have to take a very short commercial break. We'll be right back after these messages. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Haldi Pharmaceutical Compounding is one of the nation's top compounding pharmacies. We work with medical professionals as well as consumers, both human and veterinary. If you're a patient or a doctor and need to consult us, please call us for a free consultation. Additionally, you may purchase carefully selected quality brand supplements and vitamins at discounted prices at hcompound.com. To schedule a personalized consultation with Dr. Haldi or one of our associates, please email us at wellness at hcompound.com or call us at 646-650-5040. You can also check us out at hcompound.com. Are you living a healthy and fit lifestyle? It's not just related to your physical well-being. It also means a healthier mind, confidence, improved health, stamina, and fitness. Talking with Tremaine brings it all to you. Host Tremaine Ellis, along with her husband and co-host David Ellis, will offer support, advice, guidance, and motivation to keep you in your best shape, both physically and mentally. Talking with Tremaine can be heard live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. You are listening to Prescription for Success. If you'd like to reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to wellness at hcompound.com. Now back to Prescription for Success. Welcome back to Prescription for Success. This is your host, Emil Haldi. Today, I have a very special guest with me, Dr. Gerald Furman. Dr. Gerald Furman is board-certified family physician, six times New York Times best-selling author, and internationally recognized expert on nutrition and natural healing. To learn more about Dr. Furman and his work, please visit drfurman.com. To learn more about Haldi Pharmaceuticals and sign up for a consultation, give us a call at 646-650-5040 or email us at wellnesshcompound.com. Dr. Furman, what a tremendous discussion we had, we had before the break about uh, cancer prevention, about how genes impact our body, about dietary-induced illnesses. I absolutely love this term. Let's, uh, let me ask you a question about nuts and seeds. Please elaborate on your position on consuming nuts and seeds compared to other experts. There are some conflicting opinions there, and uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Oh, certainly. And of course, 
you know, I'm recommending a diet with a great variety of natural plant foods. I want to make it clear that a nutritarian diet is unique and even different from the blue zones around the world, where the blue zones might eat a more narrow selection of food, of foods grown locally. We find when people like take beans out of a diet or they make a diet ketogenic by taking fruit out, any long-term studies on people's longevity and heart endpoints show that you remove certain food categories from a diet and don't have a wide spectrum of plants, you shorten lifespan to a degree. Obviously, the same thing is true with nuts and seeds. And I have to say that there's not a controversy about the inclusion of nuts and seeds in the scientific and nutritional community at all. Matter of fact, there's a whole consensus of nutritional scientists around the world. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of nutritional scientists and maybe a small handful of people with a loud megaphone that have a difference of opinion. But obviously, we know that there are every study and there are um, scores of them, maybe more than a hundred of them that much, you know, that have shown that when people eat some nuts and seeds in their diet, as they increase the amount from a quarter of an ounce to a half an ounce to an ounce ounce, and as they go up, so does lifespan, cholesterol lowers. But of course, there's lots of um, mechanisms via which using some wholesome whole foods like nuts and seeds extend human lifespan. So for example, in the Adventist Health Study 1, which was published in 2001, we found that um, people who were eating nuts and seeds generally had about a 40% lower risk of heart attacks than those who didn't. And the Adventist studies are so important because a large number of them are vegan or vegetarians or pescatarians or flexitarians. They don't, most of them don't eat a lot of meats. They have all different types of diet styles. And it showed an extended lifespan in every single cohort, men, women, um, old, youngerly, old, vegans, non-vegans, and then we see the same thing in the Inventus Health Study 2 published in 2018. The meta-analysis of all the studies on nuts and seeds and longevity show the same thing about a 40% increase in reduction of cardiovascular deaths and about a 30% reduction in all-cause mortality. Same as the Inventus Health Study 2, which took it another, you know, whatever that was, 17 years, larger numbers of people, larger number of deaths, whatever it was, with um with conclusive findings, and we're saying right now that this, um, whether these fund whether these studies had some nut industry funding or whether they didn't, no matter who did the study, what group of people, what part of the world, it all pretty much shows the same thing. So I don't think there's a con- there's any controversy. You're just referring to some individuals who've created a controversy when really they really I don't think there is one. If you interview all the nutritional scientists around the world, they were, were all in common agreement. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. So this is a nice segue into um, a diet that's very popular these days, a ketogenic diet. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts uh, on people following those uh, principles? Well, I think that at this point in the history of nutritional science, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that eating high glycemic carbohydrates like white flour, you know, things made from bread, bagels, croissants, donuts, cookies, pizza, and, and you know, sugar, honey, maple syrup, white rice. We, you know, we know that these things drive cancer and drive heart disease. You know, we know that when you switch from white rice or white flour to brown rice or, white, or, or, or whole grain flour, the risk of diabetes goes down 25%. But when you switch from whole grains and intact whole grains to beans, it goes down by another 30 or 40%. So we're told, you know, we can score carbohydrates on a hierarchical scale of quality you know, from the ones that are more glycemic with low nutrients to the ones, especially the processed foods and those carbohydrates that are whole natural plant foods with their full fiber and resistant starch and phytochemicals intact. And we know they're protective. So, so we know that. So the thing that's, 
where the people who were, you know, Atkins, ketogenic, paleo, when they're trying to cut out processed carbohydrates, certainly that's a good thing. And we see some benefits to cut out high glycemic carbohydrates, right? So that's a good thing. But when you start to remove all carbohydrates, including healthy plant carbohydrates, like beans yes. or berries and fresh fruit, then we see the studies that do, that do look at that. And we do have studies that look at that. There are studies that say, first of all, we have studies that we give more credence to than other studies. And the reason we give these studies more credence is that we have large numbers of people, hundreds of thousands of people in them. And then they're looking at not soft endpoints like weight loss or their sugar went down or their cholesterol dropped, or their, you know, but we're looking at hard endpoints like death or heart attacks. Yes. And when we look at large studies with large numbers of people and meet those three criteria, large numbers, hard endpoints, and, um, and they go on for decades, we always find that diets higher in animal products lead to pr premature death. And there shouldn't be any controversy with regard to that. So we know that the more animal products, the more death we get. Even the Adventist Health Study showed that with the, in the highest quintile of animal product consumption, they had 60% increased risk of cardiovascular death to the lowest quintile. Quintile means five different groups, mm -hmm. to the lowest quintile in the Adventist Health Study. That's a good study because those people are eating from almost no animal products to moderate amounts. We're not, animal we, products include fish, correct? Yes, that's correct. They still identified meat as being worse in this. But, but what I'm saying right now, if we look at studies where everybody's eating a whole bunch of animal products, eating a little more, a little less, not going to show anything. Because if it, once you're smoking three packs a day, whether you cut back to two packs, you're not going to see great reduction in heart disease. Because you're already, you're already, two packs is so bad, the extra pack you're eating isn't going to mean that much. Same thing with the So people eat so many animal products that a little bit more, a little bit less doesn't show up. But when we look at these studies where people are eating small amounts to almost none, and then we see them ratcheted up gradually, we see dramatic increased differences. I see a 60% increase of sudden cardiac of, of cardiovascular death. Just like in the highest quintile of nut consumption, or I should say in the lowest quintile of nut consumption, they showed a 40% increase in cardiovascular death as well. Both the meat consumption and the lack of nuts showed the same thing. And the same thing is true because we were able to see people with various amounts, with people who were on vegan diets, non-vegan diets, a little bit of meat, you know. So we were able to see the whole selection of to get the right to get correct information yes so what i'm saying right now is can you design a ketogenic diet that's low enough in animal products let's say five percent of calories and that restricts carbohydrates sufficiently to go into ketosis to it would that be some lifespan enhancing benefit and the answer is absolutely not that's utterly you know absolutely not if you had to cut fruit and, and certain carbohydrate-containing vegetables out of your diet sufficiently, you're going to interfere with lifespan, lifespan by reducing, and it's almost impossible to do that unless you're eating a lot of oils and low-nutrient foods and, you know, tremendous amount of avocado and overdoing the fat consumption, overdoing, you know, you, you almost, it's very difficult to do. You're creating nutritional gymnastics that are not in your long-term health. And what I'm saying right now is cutting out whole selections of the plant kingdom to think that being in ketosis is some advantage is very is is not correct and not borne out by studies that look at that look at it. So taking fruit out of your diet increases risk of death from cancer. It does not lead to a longer life. And creating chronic acidosis, chronic ketoacidosis, is not good for your health long term either. Now it may be the case that in future years, through through studies that we don't see that we don't have enough information yet, it may be the case that certain cancers, let's say for example brain tumors, respond better when the person's in a ketotic state. Maybe, it, and we know there's some indication that certain brain tumors do respond better to chemotherapy when a person's in a ketotic state. 
So there might be some indications that are very specific for a ketogenic diet that we're not aware of yet. So I'm open-minded to looking at those specific indications where a keto diet might be therapeutically effective, but it doesn't mean it's going to be a lifespan enhancing diet for people in good health. Very, very interesting. So I love your style and, and uh, your style is very direct and some, some people say too direct. What do you say to, the, to those people who say your style of communicating about health is too direct or very direct? Well, you know, clearly, um, I, I realize that we have that people are, I'm, I'm aiming for what's optimal, right? Yes. And I'm using my whole career not to appeal to the masses and not to um, convince everybody to eat this way, but I want to hold up a dietary ideal that people could strive towards. And I don't want to water down my message or weaken it to make it less than perfect. I, then I could be selling out the people who want what's best. And I'm a best kind of guy. I want to do what's best and have people that follow me really do live to be 100 years old and not be demented after the age of 90. For other people, maybe being, maybe being best isn't really what they're striving for. And they, you know, and so, but I, I think I have to be more careful. And the mistake I've made is not being more careful about and say, and describing what I think is ideal is diminishing or, you know, how can I say, um, making somebody feel their feelings hurt if I criticized their diet in a way that was too harsh or wasn't, or, 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 and they took it personally. I want to be kinder in the way we can disagree with people about what they're advising nutritionally. You know what I'm saying? Well, so I want to make sure we have, we argue with regard, whenever we debate and, and, and try to make, and people have nutritional differences, we do it with respect and kindness. And I think I could do better there as well. Well, I read your book, I've attended your talks, and I've spoken to you before the show. To me, you are communicating a very powerful, life-saving message. And uh, I think your message is kind. And, and the, the, the power of uh, saving lives, literally, I can't say it any better, is, is tremendous. So talking about... Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have to say, I'm so blessed to, be ha to have this rewarding career where I've had to have so many... Um, have an effect on so many thousands of people to change their life. It's just every person that you know gets rid of their psoriasis, diabetes, asthma, heart disease. I can tell you just one story after another. It's so um, satisfying to have to have made the right decision to pursue this as a career because I tell people who are who listen to me, I say it's it's like getting superpowers. You know, it's like you, to learn this information, like getting superpowers, because then you have the ability to help people and heal people and get people well. By the way, I'm sorry for the. For my dog Petey here, he's a, who's on my lap because he's, he sees this people as workers and there's dogs outside at my window here, and he sees people and he gets excited. So I'm trying to calm him down. If I let him, if I didn't hold him on my lap, he'd be making more noise. So that's, <laughs> but in any case, he's a, for, for he's our listeners, the Furman is a is a, a, a very much an animal lover and a, a very adorable dog. What breed is that? He's a multi poo. Beautiful, beautiful, adorable dog. And this so is for I'm, our I'm here, at my, I'm here at my retreat in San Diego, um, and it's a, it's a wonderful place where people can come here to stay for a few months, and they can you know be under my care and get psychological counseling for food addiction and food behaviors, and get you know cooking classes and information education to learn how to make this diet taste fantastic and reverse their disease and drop weight and lose weight, but but and get rid of their addictions and get rid of their negative environment, change who they are as a person get excited about this. So, so I'm mentioning that 
because right now there's, that's where I am and there's construction going on to, exp- to make the place a little bigger. And that's why he gets excited because there's people walking around me, you know, doing some construction on the premises. You know what I mean? It, uh, so what's interesting, you talked about mood. Yeah. And uh, can you speak to the impact nutritarian diet can have on someone's mood? Um, because it, when, when you spoke of the science of human optimization, you mentioned uh, if you want a heavy carbohydrate diet, there's bagels and uh, cakes, etc., versus nutritarian diet, there's a big shift in mood that occurs. Right. Well, I did say that there were, there were studies that show that, that people become that depression is caused by or contributed to eating processed carbohydrates and fast food in a dose-dependent manner. And as you eat higher amounts of fast food or processed foods, your risk of depression goes up. And even two servings of commercial baked goods of fast food a week, one pizza, one French fry, one bagel, one cookie, even two servings a week doubles your lifetime risk of developing depression. So we're talking about, you know, we're talking about um, food, fake food, fast food, processed food, not just causing depression, but be a major contributor to anger, violence, and mental illness. Today, we have one in a hundred, one in five Americans are mentally ill. A hundred years ago, it was one in a hundred. And when people are shooting up movie theaters or nightclubs or killing people with guns, nobody's talking about our fast food nation that's killing, that's killing people's brains. And I'm saying that food causes dementia, depression, and anger and violence. And here's another statistic. By the way, a study done in England showed that candy consumption in childhood, that when people went up to the point of having candy every day or sugar products every day in childhood, the risk of being arrested for a violent crime by the age of 40 was like more than 50%. We're talking here that food absolutely controls your brain, who you are. And I see it here in my retreat all the time. People come in here and it's like coming off cocaine. You know, they, there's either, either if they're alcoholic or they're smoking or they're eating healthy, you have the same benefits. They're the same, they have trouble and they're maybe a little bit angry, frustrated, you know, irritable. But when they're here a while, they become more peaceful, grateful, appreciative of the world. They're the, they always say the fog lifted. They get excited about their life. They become more creative. They start thinking of how they could be more productive. They start doing things. It's just amazing to watch the, emotional and intellectual transformation when we flood the body with these superfoods because of course we're growing foods in the premises we use the best soils but we're, and i've seen this throughout my career is that we can change who people are as a person when they're healthier you know it's well known in the sign of a community that diabetes and higher sugar levels make you more depressed and angry you know what i mean we get people healthier they get better emotionally and of course this idea that this is some kind of um punishment or, oh, I don't want to eat that way because I'd rather enjoy my food and just die younger. That's, that's totally the opposite of what happens. People learn to enjoy eating more. They enjoy eating this food more than their old diet. They start to feel emotionally and intellectually satisfied with their food and their taste, and they like it. They, it tastes good to them too, and they're emotionally intellectually satisfied with it. They like eating more and they feel good about themselves and what they're eating even more. So there's, it's called a win-win or called a no-brainer. You know what I mean? So even though it's tough for people to think the way we think, if this really is effective for people and they love doing it, and they, after they're doing it a while, it's a little hard at the beginning to change. When you stop cocaine, it's hard. When you yes. stop smoking, it's hard. That's why we have the retreat for some people who can't do this on their own. But nevertheless, once they're able to time to go by enough time of abstinence off the cocaine, off the alcohol, off the junk food, off the sugar, you'd be, you'd be amazed at how people's whole life changes. It is absolutely tremendous. So if you, one of our listeners who is perhaps struggling with depression or has depression in your family and say, well, how do I prevent it? How do I not enter that blue zone, if you will, uh, yeah. the zone of blues? 
um, make sure you have more nutrients in your system and that's going to help you uh, be healthy, full of energy and happier. Well, as on my website, drfurman.com, you know, I have um, you know, advice like A to Z, different diseases. And it gives people specific protocols to help them um, address their conditions nutritionally. So it's a great resource for information for people who just want to start to learn a little more about this program. And also, even in my member center, I have an Ask the Doctor forum where people can communicate with me and my medical staff and my food addiction counselors to help them, make, to help them on their way for wherever they are to move towards eating healthier, to remove some of those obstacles and make it easier for them. This is tremendous. So please go ahead and visit drfurman.com. Whatever your condition is, uh, there are tremendous pieces of information on the website and it's life-changing. So I strongly, strongly encourage you to visit drfurman.com. Dr. Furman, as you know, I'm a compounding pharmacist. So everything I do is related to customization of care. And uh, in your practice, uh, you put people, uh, you, you help people get off medications. And what's the role of compounding in your practice and in general, the way you see it? Right. Well, you know, I've obviously, you know, I've been a family doctor in this field of, you know, um, nutritional medicine for almost three decades now. But in, in any case, the point is, is that I, I find it very useful, actually, to be able to have access to people like you, to kind of compounding pharmacists. Um, because, you know, a lot of times I'm cutting back on medication, but it's not, it's always wise to do things as slow as possibly. Like when you come taking a person gradually off an antidepressant, you, could, you don't want to, you have to do it really slow. And it's very helpful to be able to compound a dose that's lower than the lowest dose available. So I can slow down the rate at which it's so true with a, with a, lot, of issues, with a lot of diseases, how we're making compounding dosages that, that don't come in standard dosages. So um, it's helpful for me as I reduce medication gradually on people. Mm -hmm. and, and additionally, um, it's, it's important and there's not a, to compound things that are custom made for people, like with certain, especially when we want to use things topically because we don't want to expose people to things, to, to, um, to medicine that are going to be systemic when they have a problem with their elbow. You know yes. what I mean? So there's a, there's a lot of things that we can use topically where people aren't taking non-steroidals and narcotics. We can use pain medications by, by customizing it to their needs and you know, all types of conditions from fibromyalgia to, uh, to rheumatoid arthritis to osteoarthritis to, to all types of things, pelvic problems, pelvic pain syndromes, mm -hmm. all types of different issues there where compounding pharmacies become very useful for people. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, we actually, a big part of my practice is uh, topical pain medications, uh -huh. and it's a very powerful way to address someone's pain. I've had a number of patients who were scheduled for surgery, whether it's a hip replacement or knee replacement, and they would come to the pharmacy and say, look, I'm doing so well, I'm asking my doctor to push the surgery back. And it's a one way for the patient to be uh, getting high tissue level of a medicine, but not exposing their body to unnecessary side effects. Right. And let me just say that with regard to certain conditions, with regard to muscle spasm, causing nerves to become compressed and anoxic, that using the combination of high nutrient eating with therapeutic regenerative therapy type of massage where you compress the tissues, like a corn cob approach where you press and release to push the lactic acid out to allow blood to flow into contracted tissues in combination with topical pain relieving medications and top it with an excellent diet with, ju with vegetable juicing. It enables people to make a full recovery and, and get rid of their, their pain conditions. So many people have we, that have come here, we've made to um, get rid of their pain, not just their chronic illnesses, by using a combination of that, those of approaches like that. So, take, and so what I'm saying right now is, I guess what I'm saying is, don't be satisfied being sick the rest of your life. It's possible to make a full recovery and not just treat things forever and without hope. Very, very interesting, very important. So with Nutritarian Diet, you've changed a number of lives. 
um, you, you, with, with the cancer prevention, reducing cardiovascular re risk, treating patients with heart disease, um, reversing multiple chronic conditions. Can you give us an example of a patient that stands out that, that you helped? Well, yes, here's a person who stands out because, he's, because he came to me about in 1994, I think it was, that, anyway, came to me like 20, 20 19 years ago with advanced heart disease. He told me he needed urgent angioplasty, which I convinced him not to have it. He said, you want to put a foreign body in your heart and you're not having acute coronary syndrome, having a heart attack. We can get you better in a few weeks feeling better. And you go back to your cardiologist in three or four months, you'll see a tremendous improvement on your stress test, which he did and it improved so much. But now he's 98 years old. He was on three blood pressure medications back then. He was on the cholesterol, you know, he's on all the problems back then, but he hasn't, but as he got older, he got healthier and healthier. He never needed his stress test improved. He got off his blood pressure medications within the first three, six months. But now, you know, 17, 18 years later, he's thriving in great health on no medications with no high blood pressure. It's, it's that these patients that have been my, in my practice for, you know, 15 or 20 years who used to be sickly are now elderly without dementia and with their full mental faculties enjoying their life and in, in great health and better cardiovascular fitness than they had when they, when they came to me when they were younger. So it's just, um, it's just so satisfying to see that. Tremendous, tremendous. Uh, what would be a quick message, perhaps a motivational message, as we are nearing the end of our show, for people out there listening to your methods, life-saving methods? Well, it's that you have an opportunity. We have an unprecedented opportunity in human history with these advancements in nutritional science. To live be healthier without, and to live longer without dementia, and have your full and have your full health span and play span, being able to enjoy your life in your golden years, which people don't have in this country. They're suffering and they're sickly the time they get older. I'm saying here's an opportunity to really have a great life as you age, and you'd be very foolish not to take advantage of this. Very powerful message. I strongly encourage our listeners to check out your books. Uh, I personally read your book "Eat to Live" cover to cover, and has a ton of life-saving information. Uh, Dr. Furman, what a great show. Thank you so much for this discussion. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you. Uh, to learn more about Dr. Furman and his work, please visit his website, drfurman.com. To learn more about Haldi Pharmaceutical or to sign up for a consultation, give us a call at 646-650-5040 or email us at wellness at hcompound.com. This makes it a show, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to live a happier fuller, healthier, and more fulfilled life, you need to be the CEO of your health. Take my PD. You need to be guided by an amazing practitioner Bye. for your life. You'll lead it. Bye. He <laughs> says goodbye. He's very cute. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Until next okay. time, all the best. Be happy Thank and healthy. All right. Take care. Bye, everybody. Best of health to all of you. Thank you for tuning in to Prescription for Success. Be sure to join your host, Dr. Emil Haldi, next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for another edition of the program. Have a great and healthy week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america health and wellness channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericahealth.com 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 